Welcome to the Great Lakes Fishing Podcast presented by Fishhawk Electronics. If you're looking for news, tips, and stories about fishing the Great Lakes, you've come to the right place. And now your host, Chris Larson. Good evening and welcome to Fishhawk Live. Thanks so much for everybody joining us tonight. And tonight we're joined by Captain Paul Powers from J&P Fishing Charters. Paul, thanks so much for joining us tonight. I really appreciate you coming on. Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me. It's uh, always a pleasure talking to you, pal. Well, first of all, tell tell the audience a little bit about yourself and your charter. Oh, salty dog. Been at it for a long time. I think this is number 34 years. Uh, not not counting, but been doing it a long time and uh, been on uh you know Huron, Erie, a uh, little bit of Lake Ontario in the last I don't know 20 years probably made it all Lake Erie just because we're busy and it's such a fishery and uh, enjoy it there but uh, enjoy guiding and enjoy taking people out and now that I'm retired I can when somebody asks me what days I'm available I say all of them so um been doing it quite a while and uh, it's still fun and as you well know, that uh, eerie population of walleyes is off the hook. And like we discussed uh, earlier, the steelhead fishing's uh, really good as well. So um, we got the best of both worlds out there. And um, a lot of people are doing what I call staycations. And hopefully uh, the COVID situation uh, sorts itself out and we'll be at it hard again this year. Paul, you've got a, a really cool boat. It's kind of a unique boat. Uh, I think it's something that when people see it, they go, hey, there's Paul Powis right there. You know Tell what? us a little bit about your boat. I'm going to put uh, put a shot of it up on the screen. Sure. So uh, one of the cool things about my boat from far away, a lot of guys, uh, I, when I first had it wrapped, a lot of people would say, hey, we're, is that cop boat checking licenses or, or is that the ministry boat and the rest of it? So it took about a couple of weeks for people to figure out it wasn't the uh, a police boat, but, uh, it's an Eastern style boat. It's called the Merrimack. Um, it, it was made, uh, specifically for diving or, or chartering that sort of thing. It's got a really short nose on it, but a really big back end. So, um, it's good, great for clients and it, and it works really well. And, uh, with the outboards on it, you don't have a motor box to climb over. It's pretty open. Um, we can, we can accommodate up to six, uh, clients and, I usually fish with a mate as well, just because uh, as you as you get up there and uh, years a little bit, it's nice to have somebody out there helping you. So um, it, it's a comfortable boat. We're you know we have a lot of uh, seating, a lot of room to maneuver around, and uh, I'm equipped as good as it gets with uh, with a lot of uh, the best equipment that you can get, and uh, it's it's a pleasure to fish. Uh, you know, there's still days where it's a little chunky out there on the big water, but uh, most of the time uh, we can fish it without too many problems, and I leave it up to the clients. Anything over three foot, I say, hey, it's up to you. The boat can take it, and I used to be able to take it, but uh, I'm okay with staying on shore if it's real ugly because it kicks the crap out of you, no matter what boat you're in, but uh, we got a good ride there. It it, uh, it can handle pretty much anything Lake Erie throws at you, so. Tell us a little bit about some of the electronics and some of the gear you have on board, Captain Paul. Sure. So um, I I run uh, Humminbird Graph. I have a, a Helix 12, and I'm running the Canon uh, Optimums, which uh, you're familiar with, and also the Fishhawk. But 
one of the greatest things that's happened in the last few years is the Bluetooth and connectability and, and uh, you know, uh, one thing that uh, the relationship that I'm really happy with is I've been a Fishhawk user for years and, um, you know, as you were well aware, they've teamed up with uh, Canon and, and everything speaks to each other with the one boat network. So what, what that means, if you don't know what that means, is everything can talk to each other. So I can get my... Uh, uh, Humminbird data transferred to my downrigger and my fishhawk from the downrigger or to the downrigger and also to, to the thing. So they work together in unison, which is really nice for information. And, and uh, it's, it's just a really neat way of uh, sharing information with all your electronics and the one boat network makes that possible. So uh, that, that's pretty exciting for me that that's just come out last year and I got to, to, fart around with it a lot more and uh, I'm still learning different things it does but uh, I get a little spooky when I got it on cycle and I see that rod move and I want to jump on it uh, like a fat kid on a smarty and it's only the thing cycling from back and forth but uh, it's pretty cool I got I got really good stuff and I use uh, all Shimano Talora um, combos Talora Dakota combos with line counters and like I said the helix and uh, and the uh, the optimum Canon downriggers. It's uh, it's just a perfect combo for what we're doing. Thanks so much for everybody joining us tonight and the, at the audience there. If you've got questions for Paul, please put them in the comments. Whether you're on Facebook or YouTube, that's the great thing about doing this live is that you can ask the captain whatever questions you want. This isn't just a conversation with me and him. We're allowing everybody to ask any question they want when it comes to uh, fishing on Lake Erie with Captain Paul. And what we're going to do tonight, as we do every week on Fishhawk Live, is uh, the question of the night. We'll get an awesome Fishhawk swag package. We'll have some hats in there. We'll have some stickers, whatever the guys back at the HQ want to throw in the box. But we will send you that swag package. And if you're joining us from Canada tonight, don't worry. You can still win. We don't, we're not afraid of shipping stuff to Canada. So we will uh, get that out to you. It doesn't matter where you're asking. We'll get that, that uh, swag package out to you. Paul, uh, you fish out of one port in June, and then you kind of switch things up later on in the season. Tell us a little bit about the two ports that you're fishing out of. So typically I fish Leamington uh, for like now and, and June, but uh, because of COVID last year and migrant workers and high cases, uh, June was a no-go zone for Leamington area. So we didn't do it, and uh, who would have thought it was going to last that long? We're not doing it again this year just because the uncertainty whether or not we're going to have the green light to fish. But uh, it's kind of a unique difference. Like Lake, Lake Erie, if you take it as a whole, the east guys fish it different than the central guys, and the west guys fish it different from that as well. So on our side of the lake, there, it's basically – three bodies of water that they do it different. So one of the upsides for me is I, I troll for everything. I don't jig, I don't uh, wait forward spinner cast. But what I like is, is the difference of fishing that shallower water down in the Western end. So I'm talking Leamington, Point Pelee area, 20 feet of water's tops. So we use a lot of bottom bouncers. We use a lot of uh, crawler harnesses and uh, inline planer boards, offshore tackle planer boards with tattle flags. And uh, it's a slower troll. The water's a little colder this time of year and coming up. And, uh, you know, you can fish crankbaits 
and or spoons, but I just like worming to do something different. And uh, I like that uh, crawler harness bike because it's interactive for the clients. They watch that tattle flag go and you've got guys out there helping you. And I, I'm not afraid on my boat to put people to work. Uh, you know, it's easier for me and it's, e and it's, it's also more satisfying to the client because now it's, you know, I've been on charter boats down south and all over the world where it's sit down, shut up, don't touch nothing. Here's a rod, reel it in and next, right? Uh, I find if it's, if the client's involved, uh, even as something as simple as open the cooler every time you throw a fish in, they're part of the team and part of the concept of, of doing that. So I got clients that, and I ask everybody, I go, so you want to try something different instead of going to Uriel, come to Leamington. And do you want to try something different in Leamington, go to Uriel because it's a different way of fishing. And it's pretty much split right down the middle between uh, what they prefer. Some guys like the wormen, some guys like the spoons and body baits, and some guys say they don't care as long as they're going fishing. So it gives me an opportunity to start a little earlier. And also it's a different way of doing it. And um you know it keeps you sharper in different uh genres of, of trolling and uh stays you current with different things so um that's a, that's basically how it works and again i'm talking pre-covid that's how we used to go is go down the western end and uh get those uh, early ones and then as the water warms up and they move to the central basin uh deeper colder water um we change our our system over to aerial and it's bigger water like you know we got 60 70 feet of water there no problem and as the water warms up everything you know it gets too hot in the ends and then then they move in more into the center and uh we catch them up pretty good there too so that's that's the two places i fish very cool uh you said you like you know when you're, you're pulling those worms you're going slow what kind of speeds are you running when you're typically pulling worms um or usually a mile mile and a half I, I don't go much faster than that and uh you know it depends on the bite like if those fish are right hugging the bottom i fish bottom bouncers of course but um as the water warms up and the fish get more aggressive and they're they're you know they're post spawn and they're more aggressive and they're putting the feed bag on they come up off the bottom and then i'll i'll fish uh you know inline weights either uh the offshore uh um, guppies or I'll uh, do some inline weights such as the Wacom tackle uh, inlines that sort of stuff and we mix it up but uh, nice and slow steady steady troll usually downhill with the with the boards what I mean by downhill is with the waves and that way if it's really rough like I've had some days where it's rougher than anything out of the southwest I'll take it on the chin and run you know six seven miles into the waves so that I can turn and go with the waves all the way back to the harbor and we can usually get our fish without making a turn. So, um, the bite's crazy. I like fishing Peely Island. There are some rock piles out there where, uh, it holds some bigger fish and it's, uh, usually pretty good. And every once in a while you get trolling a little too close to Peely Island and there's some catfish spots that you think you're on bottom and you bring up some really big kitty cats and the people are pretty stoked about that too. So, um, it's it's just different and it's nice and it 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 gets the the winter bug out that you can get out on the water and enjoy it sooner. So it's fun for us. Yeah, I think there's a there's a lot at least from the United States side. We hear so much about Lake Erie and how great a fishery it is. 
Um, you know, a lot of guys on this side of the border don't hear that much about what's going on on the north side. So how does that on the Canadian side compare to the fishing that the guys are seeing in Ohio and Pennsylvania and New York side of, of Lake Erie? That's a good question. So it's very similar. And I, I know a lot of captains on the other side and we compare notes. Uh, we, we, you know, meet up at shows and you get talking and, and I get some calls from some of the Ohio guys. Are you, you on the steelhead? Are you on the walleyes? Or how deep of water and what color baits? And um, it's amazing how how uh, they parallel. Like a lot of times, you know, I'll talk to one of the U.S. guys and I'll be like, I'm really smoking them on such and such a color. And oh, really? I I'm getting them on this, and I'll try what he told me, and he'll try what I told him, and we'll compare notes a day later and go, Wow, thanks for the heads up on that bait. So yeah, although there's an imaginary line down the middle, a walleye is a walleye and they don't care what side of the border they're on. It's all about food and temperature for them. So um, comparing notes amongst us, but I find that uh, we have a better steelhead bite than, than your side uh, more consistently because that's usually the first question I get. I'll, the guys, you know, again, pre-COVID when guys are like, hey, uh, you got steelies over there? And I'd be like, uh, no, we got lots of walleyes. So we got all the walleyes we need. We want steelhead. And I'm going, well, they're not here right now. But uh, it's, uh, it's very similar. Um, we use a lot of spoons when we troll. On your side, the guys are very uh, – uh, all over the board with either spoons or harnesses or also um, they'll use a lot of crankbaits. We kind of shied away from the crankbaits over the years because if you've ever experienced a steelhead with a, a you know, six-inch crankbait with one hook in his mouth and one hook in his back, you're untangling lines for a lot of time. So we, we kind of got away from that just to control that bite of the steelies because the steelies will hit the same lures that the walleyes are biting. So we kind of did that out of necessity just to avoid the the problems that go with crankbaits and steelheads. So um, I hope that answers your question. But that that's the unique part of the lake between the U.S. side and the Canadian side from my perspective anyway. Yeah, I yeah, want to get into that steelhead uh, a little bit more. Well, but uh, we've got a couple questions coming in right now. And, folks, if you guys got more questions, go ahead and put them in the comments. And, again, uh, the uh, question of the evening will get a Fishhawk swag bag. Uh, first question, this one's from Greg Haraki. And uh -oh. I said your last name wrong. I apologize. Do you know Paul? Yeah, you know what? Uh, I've known Greg for probably – well, I've been chartering for 34. I've known him all of them, too. He's uh, a semi-retired charter captain, been around for a long time. So this ought to be good. He's going to bust my chops over something. So. I think that's exactly what this is going to be. Let's have it. He wants to know how you broke into the game at Erio. How I broke into the game at Erio. So, well, that's a, that's a good question, but you're going to test my brain here. Started out in Port Burwell originally. And uh, one of the big problems we had there was it's, it was a one-horse town, no restaurants, no bars, no places to stay. Clients wanted to get a bite to eat. We went from there to Glasgow. The bite was good. Um, but same thing, not a lot going on. And then we found Erio, and uh, it ticked all the boxes for, uh, you know, a couple good restaurants, a good breakfast place, two or three places to stay overnight if needed. And... Uh, nice beach and family liked it so it wasn't just dad uh, taking off to go 
uh, fishing on Lake Erie. It was a place to hang out, and they had an ice cream store. The kids liked that, and uh, we just kind of made it our home, and we've been there. Well, we've been there close to 30 years, so um, like it. The fishing's consistent. Uh, the people are really nice. It's got that home home uh, home style feel, a small town, and uh, it's it's just nice. So everybody uh, everybody uh, is your friend there, and there's lots of fish. There's lots of anglers out there, lots of fishermen, and uh, it's it's fun. We we want we get along well, and it, it's a good place to fish. So. That, that wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be for him. Right? <laughs> He's only allowed one question, right? One question, that's all he gets. Good, good. Thank you. <laughs> all right. Uh, uh, Arlo Tonks wants to know, uh, what did you find is the biggest advantage to the total boat system with having all the electronics communicate with each other? Oh, wow. Okay. So, yeah, I'm, it's new. It just came out like last year and we started using it, but... Uh, one of the biggest things is I like setting up the individual windows on on the down rear that I don't have to look to the front. And if I got clients there, you know, I'm not, hey, can you step to the left so I can look at the graph to see what's what. But everything that the Fishhawk um, data has, so speed and depth at the ball and true depth at the ball, it's right on the rigger. So something as simple as if you put a down conventional rigger down, you say you think it's down 50 feet. It gives you the, the exact, no, it's only at 46 feet because of blowback, that sort of thing. All that data is right on the rigger. So if I'm letting it down, okay, 44, 45, 46, 47, boom, there's your temperature break. I don't have to quick look, quick look, quick look. It's right on the window right there. Um, there's some other features on there as well that uh, it, they all talk to each other. So basically any information that you have you have you, you have two riggers that that one's your primary and the other's your secondary and you set that up and once that's gone it's you could be you could do information overload it's like a cell phone i tell people it'll do five thousand things but i email i text and take pictures that after that so i can set those windows up on on the down rear to give me exact data that i want for fishhawk and i can change the window i can put it on cycle um, it's, it's just nice. I can zero the, the downriggers. Uh, one of the big things with that fancy wrap on my boat is cannonballs will literally chew the side off it. So I preset it at my minus two or three. So the ball's below the water line, a couple of feet and I zero, I make that zero. So minus three is zero on the boat and I can bring them up from, from the rigger. This has only happened once, but it's enough to save you know, a fish hawk probe and a couple downriggers. If I'm at the helm, which I usually do because I fish with a mate and he's busy and doing something and the time it takes me to yell at him, bring both riggers up, I can hit one button on my helix and both come up. Commercial nets, I've had, you know, you're not paying attention and it's rough and you, they got white jugs and next thing you know, um, they're, at, they're at the pulpit of the boat and you see commercial net. Um, you got four feet you know 14 feet before it gets into your stuff and i hit both buttons bring up my cannonballs i got i got lines caught in it but i didn't catch up you know have to respool with the cannon or uh sorry uh cleaner or uh down rear cable and or cannonball and a probe so everybody that uh fishes the great lakes know, knows that just turns whatever good day you have into a really bad day when you got to respool everything and also pay for the equipment so um there's advantages there. It, the biggest advantage of the one boat network is the communication between all your electronics. 
All right, that uh, leads us to the next question from Steve Chason, and he wants to know, he says, uh, the Fishhawk X4D gives you true depth, eliminating blowback discrepancy. Is this the key function for you, or is it knowing the temperature at the ball? What's more important? If you made me pick between one, I I actually like the true depth because uh, I, I use a feature on there that a lot of people don't realize that on the graph – I, I have it, it cut half and half between plotter and, and uh, fish finder. And a lot of times, and this is a little tip that, uh, that I, I've shared with a few people and I'll share it with everybody tonight. A lot of times you go, okay, those hooks are at 40 feet, right? So you put your, your cannonball down at 40 feet and, and you'll, you'll get fish. But if you have that true depth and then you move the cursor from the right side, which would be your... Um, your GPS coordinate side and move it over to the other side where it's on the fish finder, you can actually bring the cursor right down and go, it's not 40 feet. There's bigger fish at 37 feet. And then you use the true number on the rigger, not to put it at 40 and guess what your bullback is. You're putting it right at 37. So now you got baits right in front of those bigger fish nose. And you know, you're still catching fish at, at 40 but you're really catching fish at 37. And I do that a lot. Like I'll just say, okay, 40 is good, but is it a little better at 39 or 38 or even 37? And, and it, it works. So you can marry the two up and go. So to answer your question, Steve, I, I would prefer um, that to temperature. Uh, a lot of times the, you're going to know the temperature just by the amount of hooks and where they are and where the bait is. They'll go out of temperature, but uh, – the temperature isn't as as important as the speed and the true depth of the ball for me. How how important is temperature when it comes to walleye fishing, Lake Erie? Not a lot. Um, a lot of people ask me that question. What do I need a fish hawk for then? And, and I, I would say the primary uh, function of a fish hawk for me that makes my my day of catching uh, numerous amounts of fish better is the fact that I can I can determine where they are exactly and also uh, dial them in. But the biggest, biggest, biggest thing for a fish hawk is it tells you your speed. And I get anglers all the time. I can only catch my fish going one way. And I go, what do you mean? Well, when I troll east to west, I catch, I catch all my fish. When I, when I go west to east, nothing. And I say it's speed. No, I'm going the same speed. I go, you're going the same speed on the top but you're not going the same speed at the bottom. There's so much current. And if you look at Lake Erie as a whole, it dumps in Detroit River and dumps out at Niagara River. And there's a lot, like where we are in uh, Point of Pins and Erie area, there's a big, big point that sticks out. It's almost 10, 10 miles or 10, yeah, 10 miles out into the lake. It acts like a back eddy in a river. So it swirls. So sometimes we're going to get so much current in there and you see the down rear cables are swayed way back or they're straight up and down. You need to know that true speed at the ball. So you can put a lure over the side and see that it has a nice wobble like this, but it could be going if it's slower or it could be going so crazy. It's, it's too fast. So um, I pay a lot of attention to true speed at the ball. And to me, that's the primary function of having the uh, having the fish hawk. The other stuff's nice and it comes in handy. Like I've had some really good steelhead fishing because I find that cold water, it's full of smelt and uh, we can dial them in. So 
Um, it's a combination of, but if I, again, if you were to pick it apart and then you made me choose between one function or the other, uh, I'm all about that speed at the ball. Cause then, then I know what's going on below my boat. A lot of that leads us up to the next question from David Fowler. He says, uh, when you're fishing crawlers downwind, have you noticed a pattern of opposing or cross current, uh, based on, I'm assuming by the wind. Yeah, you'll get that. And, and uh, again, again, in the western end, the current's not as crazy, but it's still there. We get days that, that it's going. And again, I, a lot of times when I'm fishing fishing crawlers, I'll put, my, I'll put a downrigger down without a rod attached to it just to see what's going on down below. So I use my true speed at the ball as well. The last thing you need, a blade going 300 miles an hour and the worm twisting all up. But um, downhill is typically the best way to go just because the boards sit nicer and they're more consistent. They just kind of go with the waves and keep like that. I use a drift sock so you don't get that surge of the boat and jumping. It's just a nice, slow, steady. And, uh, you know, the current's still there, but at a slower speed, it's not it's not going to wreck it for you. Like, if anything, it'll tell you to slow down a little. For, like, if you're marking fish and you're not getting bit, uh, you want to slow it down a little more. I'm very fortunate. I, ru I run a kicker and I can get my boat down to like a half a mile an hour. And I've had instances where I, I'm trolling too fast at a mile. You slow the boat down and that, a, and that a fish and then all of a sudden four or five rods go off. That's uh, a very good indicator that they want it slower. So I'll just slow it down even more. All right. Here's another one from, uh, this one's from another guy that you know. Captain Jamie Shane, he'll be on the show in a couple weeks, and he just wants to know when you're putting your boat in and starting your trips in Erio, as we're doing, uh, we are due for our preseason talk. Miss you, buddy. And he says, you're looking good. Well, you know, makeup is a good thing, and thank you for that, Jamie. But uh, you need glasses, first and foremost. And uh, my first charter on the books right now is June the 19th out of Erio, and uh, – Mr. Doug Ford, if you're listening, I hope I can do that charter and uh, just give us the green light. I know uh, with the nicer weather, it makes things a little, you can only tie so many harnesses and uh, replace hooks and, and play around and shine in boats and the rest of it. Sooner or later, we've got to get out there. But uh, my first one's June the 19th right now, Jamie, and I'll see you down there. All right. Rob Jones wants to know, uh, what are your go-to spoons for steelhead fishing? Okay, well, um, I use a lot of silver streaks. I use a lot of NKs and uh, uh, no secret now, and it's been a secret for about four years, but uh, an old retired charter guy who's uh, one of my mentors, good good guy, Barry Nash, been around forever. I, th I don't know if he's 90 or 80. I think he's 80-something. I shouldn't pick on him, but um, he decided in his in his – third retirement he should be making lures so he's making triple threat lures which is uh, a canadian company as well made in brantford ontario and i've been using his stuff for probably four years and he's always a creator and an inventor and making stuff and uh he's gone legit with it now so the cat's out of the bag and people are like have you ever tried him i go i've been using them before they even were called triple threat lures so um he's he's got some custom colors and I find the steelhead fishing rub is the the uglier or the crazier the colors you can come up with, the better they're going to work. So we use a lot of pinks. We use a lot of, uh, you know, uh, 
like a lot of purples and greens and like combos of really crazy stuff. This one's an NK. I don't know if it'll show up on the, I guess it will. Lots of crazy colors, right? And uh, I went salmon fishing last week. This was really good. It's 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 one of uh, Barry's uh, triple threats, but like the holographic and purples and greens and pinks and stuff like that. But you can't go wrong. Orange is big. Everything, every uh, lure has its day. The only bad part, the, the worst thing that can happen, and it happens a lot, Rob, is the best lure on your boat's the one you only have one of. And you put it down and it catches the majority of the fish. And then you go to the tackle store and you tell all your friends that that's the best bait you've ever had. And when you got six, it slows down. So just keep the one and, and uh, you'll be okay. But oranges, pinks, purples, uh, pink and white's been really good the last few years for steelies and the walleyes too. Um, that's the neat part about where we are in Erie. They don't, uh, they don't discriminate. You can catch a fish, a walleye on, on a bait and put it down and catch a steelhead and put it down, catch another steelhead and then catch three walleyes. So um, I think it's action and profile are, the, are two big things and the gaudier the better. You can't go wrong with gaudy stuff. Copperbacks is big too. So, yeah, Let's talk a little bit about that, Paul. Uh, when you're going to go out and you're, you're targeting steelhead, how does yeah. that change your... Uh, what you're doing on the boat as far as your speeds, your presentations, everything about what, what you got going on there uh, from a walleye trip to a steelhead trip. Absolutely. So sometimes they're in the same water, other times they're not. So I'll give you an example. Last year, um, I got a report from one of the other captains that uh, that I know, and he fishes out of Wheatley, which is a, is a, a really good port for steelhead. Uh, it's halfway between Leamington and Uriel. It's about an 18 mile run for me and typically on a six hour trip I wouldn't run 18 miles just because you're spending all that time on the water and if it's rough and if it's bumpy it's a long way to go and there's fish closer so um, these guys booked me for an all-day trip and I'm like you know what I got good intel that it's good out of Wheatley let's make the run so if they're on and they're on heavy, which we had for, I'm going to say, we had them for five days and the, the, the cold water just blew in tight. And I got a set of numbers from a captain. So I, I loaded these guys up and I said, you guys are in for a treat. We're going to run to Wheatley. It was flat calm. Uh, we shot down to Wheatley. I started in 64 feet of water and I trolled for an hour and did not mark a thing and did not hook a thing and did not see a thing. So I went, oh boy, this is going to bite me in the butt. So I got on the phone to the captain and that had fished there yesterday and spanked them. And I said, I've been, I started at 60. I went out to 68 and nothing. He, I said, my only game left is inside. You got anybody fishing in there? He made a couple calls, called me back. He says, 42 feet of water. So I'm like, really? Get in there. Had a nice temperature change, loaded with smelt, loaded with hooks. They didn't move far, but they moved, you know, from 60 65 feet of water to to 42 feet of water two or three miles inside so got in there we lit them up pretty good and finished up with a six-man limit of steelies but when it's on like that it's that good the best thing you can do is just downsize the amount of rods you have like you don't need the boards out you don't need all that extra stuff because they're tackle busters they're aggressive and they fight hard. So my typical spread, if it's just steelhead and I'm not looking for both species, I'll put two downriggers down 
and I'll start with three dipsies aside. I'll do uh, a one, a two, and a three, and I'll shake them up. Different size baits, uh, different color baits, different depths in the water column. And if it's like kookabunga crazy good, I'll go down to two riggers and two dipsies aside. I'll pull a dipsy off each one, and it's enough to keep a crew of six busy. So, um, Cut back on your rods and concentrate on the ones that are in there. And uh, then you're not getting as many tangles because you have less equipment in the water. And you're also, um, you're dialed in on them. And, and without the boards, you can turn on them a lot quicker. So I'll do waypoint, 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 like a, maybe three quarters of a mile when they're on thick. And then I spin right on them. If I got the boards out, it takes me half a mile to make a spin. If I just got dipsies and riggers out, I can spin on them and, you know, couple hundred a couple few hundred yards so it's not i can make way tighter turns and stay on them a lot quicker very good uh here's one from chris ben he wants to know if you're using your fish out fish hawk uh is there any difference from rough water to calm water fishing uh yeah well there can be it's more current chris than than uh the actual waves as as i, I i'm sure you fish with one chris is another charter captain out of Erie as well um it can play games with you with the rough because just because it's a neat big east wind on the top doesn't mean it's a big east wind below. So you can have wind blowing out of the east, but current coming out of the west. So it can throw you a curveball as your your speed, but that's where your true speed at the ball comes in. You got to trust it. You got to know that you just took two fish at 3.2 and 3.2 is the magic number. Repeat, repeat, repeat. So you want to have it going each way. So um, that would be my answer to that. All right, Paul. Um, what do you do, you know, when you're out there and you, you kind of talked a little bit about it uh, a few questions ago, but when things aren't going so hot and you're having a hard time uh, getting fish to cooperate, what's what's kind of your first and second move when things aren't going the way you want them to? My first move is to tell really bad jokes. I'm famous for that. And then, you know, I got, you got to keep the tempo up and, um, you know, you get days where the fish just outsmart you a little bit and you got, you know, I, I try not to chase the radio. We're, we're very lucky in the port that we're in. We have uh, a lot of competent captains and, you know, every once in a while we'll get a four day blow and it's like, okay, where the hell do we go today? So, you know, we have a chat before and if you're, if you're the guy that says, uh, you know, I'll go east, you go west, you go north, you try inside, has anybody tried here? And we divide and conquer. Like, Nothing frustrates me more than having a tough bite and you got five charter boats within a quarter mile of each other all bitching at each other on the on the radio boat. Oh, nothing over here, nothing over here. You, you got to try something different. So um, I've been very fortunate that uh, uh, everybody listens to each other and we just divide and conquer and somebody go in, somebody go out, somebody go here. And I remember a couple of years ago we had a time where I drew the short straw that I was going to go fish muddy water because I, I say this regularly. Uh, there's no hole in the bottom. Those fish are somewhere and they couldn't have moved that far. And everybody picked a where they were going to go. And one guy went further out and one guy went a little east and one guy went and started going west. And I says, I guess I'm going north into that crappy muddy water, which I really usually don't like. And the upside of that, when, when you, um, do find the fish you gotta let the rest of the guys know as soon as you can so you call them and they come in so if if you're four miles apart 
and you're the guy who's four miles, it's going to take you, an, you know, a half an hour, 45 minutes to troll to where the, the bite is on. But if you're that guy that's closest, you're going to be in there uh, doing it as well. So we rely on networking boat to boat. And that's not just a charter boat thing, guys. Um, get talking to people and you don't have to go to the same spot. I do. I talk about this at seminars all the time. Uh, you come out of the harbor and you see a boat and they go, oh, man, that guy must be on fish. And you have a you have good intel that you did somebody did really well in a certain area and you see them out there and you know five boats later everybody everybody goes oh there's four boats there oh now there's five and, and they're all chasing the same thing I'll, and i'm guilty of that too i'll have a look but i just put a waypoint in and i'll check it out later so the biggest thing is to not get crazy um i usually put out uh if, if fishing's really tough i always start with what was working yesterday and then I break it down from there. So if the riggers were really good, I'll use the same color spoon and the same uh, area or depth on the ball as I would the day before. But then I'll use an experimental, I'll experiment with a dipsy. I'll put out a goofy color and uh, I'll put it uh, at a really weird spot. And we, we get days where you can get a good box. Just you catch one fish on one lure with one technique and then it's done. So the only option is to just change again. So I, so to answer that question a little deeper, I change baits a lot. I'll change my speed quite a bit, and I'll change my location. And um, that's about it. That Usually something will pay off, but we've had such good fish in the last few years, it's pretty hard not to be successful. All right, Greg Haraki wants a mulligan. No, no. Okay, yeah, well, he, can, he is a mulligan, but go ahead. This one's not. It's it's a pretty good one too. He, he just wants to know uh, when you look back, how many of the legendary anglers in your area uh, do you call friends? Oh, uh, pretty much all of them. Uh, I, I I remember not not too long. It's a long time ago, but not too long ago where I was a starstruck kid and going wow. And uh, Greg can attest to that because he opened a lot of doors for me and made some good introductions. But I, I remember uh, with Offshore Tackle being over in Pontiac, Pontiac, Michigan and going out for dinner with Cavias and Parsons. And, you know, I met Gary Roach and all these like legendary walleye anglers. And I'm like, holy crap. So um, there's those guys. And then there's the the old salty charter captains that I've known for a lot of years that have seen my kids grow up and, you know, they're like uncles to my children. And, uh, um, there's, you know, this guy's still like coming around and hanging out at the docks and having a few beers and, you know, talking about, and I, I'm, I'm quick to say, Hey, I've never seen this before. And they, they say, Oh yeah. Once this happened and there, there's a lot of information to be had there from, from these guys. And, you know, it's funny when people call me an old dog and I go, if I'm an old dog, then I know some really, really old dogs. And there's a lot of them around and um, they're not afraid to share information and don't, don't be don't be afraid to ask. And even if it's how to rig a bait or how to how to uh, change, change something. And a lot of them are really good mechanics, too. When something's broken on your boat, they can, they can tell you what to try and what to do to fix it. So, um, no, they're they're out there and. Uh, They've been a big part of my uh, career, and like I say, I'm getting getting up there, not not uh, not ready to pull the pin by any means. But uh, we rely on that flow of information from the old dogs to the new ones, right? So, 
Um, that's two nice questions from Horky, but cut him off because he's going to do something silly soon. So. <laughs> All right. Ryan Nichols wants to know, what are your thoughts on forward-facing sonar like live scope? Uh, do you believe there's any applications for walleye there? Yeah, it works, and I, I mess around with the side scan and my, my boat because I got a a uh, I got a, a gill bracket on there. It's really hard to get the transducer to work just right with the the side scan, but it works. It's a val valuable tool. I know a lot of bass anglers that swear by it, and any piece of equipment that gives you a better look of what's going on below your boat just makes you a better angler. So I I don't think they're bad. Uh, they they work and and a lot of this uh, new stuff for you know picking up rock piles and and different little bits of structure and the rest that's just more information that you can add and put waypoints in and fish them harder and you know if you're looking at rock piles specifically you know with with that extra data you know to troll it on the east side of that rock pile versus going straight over it and stuff so again it's it's technical but it just breaks it down that much better to give you more information that that it in turn can help you uh, catch more fish or if you're a tournament guy bigger fish so um it it all works and it has its place and and it, it does well so um i don't use it a lot be, just because i don't again we're spoiled i don't need to like there there's days where um you can turn everything off and you're still going to catch fish, but not, not as quick and you dial them in, but I'm all about waypoints and I'm all about which direction I was going with those waypoints and then repeat, like I'll zoom right in on a spot and say, Hey, why were they here? And they're not there. And, and usually it's structure minuscule is not, it could be four, four little rocks down there that they're holding. Cause there's not a lot of structure on Erie for sure. Anything All right, Doug Orton wants to know if you use lead core. I use lead core. It's not my favorite go-to. It does catch fish. The biggest thing for me, and and I'm kind of spoiled, is I just hand it to a customer and say, "Here, reel us in," and it's back far. So um, I, I'm big on segmented lead core. This time of year, two or three colors is crazy, and uh, it's stealthy, and you don't have to let out as much line. But I can get. Uh, I can get a, and I I have a, a mate who's who's a, a fellow captain, and he's a lead core maniac. He loves it, and I one of the one of my theories, and I, I believe it to be true, so it's got to be. Um, if you let out a full ten colors of core, you got all that line back behind the boat, and I can acquire the same depth that like hundred and ten on an inside dipsy with a one. So I can hook a fish, land it to the boat. Get the rod back in before you're even got five colors. So for efficiency, for you know, wine, 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 scoop in the box and put it back in again, and you're still wine. I've I've shown him a couple of times that it's more efficient if you can get them other ways. That said, there's days that lead core is the only game in town, so I have four sets, six sets rigged on the boat at any time, and I'm not one of those perfectionists that say. I'll never fish lead core. I'll fish anything. If, it, if it's a difference between uh, 12 fish in the box or 20 fish in the box, I'll do whatever it takes. So <laughs> the short answer is I try to avoid it. But when I get a call from another captain and I only got six fish and he's got 18 and working on his number 19 and 20, and I say, what are you getting them all on? And I'm getting them all on seven colors of core. Core's out. 
So I, I got to do what I got to do. I got to put my clients on fish. So like it or not, we'll do what we need to to get it to work. All right. Do you use temperature as a factor for bait selection? Temperature for bait selection. Not a lot, but it does hold a little bit true. Um, when we're on the smelt and they're really like the smelt like cold water, there's no question there. They will congregate in that colder water and I will use temperature to see actually how cold it is to see what it's preferred. So if I'm marking good bait clouds and uh, we get a lot where we mark a lot of bait, but there's nothing on it because there is so much bait. So I use the analogy of putting up a pizza place and a, and a, a McDonald's and a, a Burger King and a rest. Like they're eating at one of those places, but which set of bait it is there and the temperature will make a difference uh, then. And it doesn't happen a lot, but you know, you can find some bait that are holding it say, you know, 58 degrees or 60 degrees, but then there's a better congregation of bait at 62 and there's hooks on it. I just make a mental note saying, okay, there's bait at all these different temperatures, but the bait that has hooks on it is at this temperature. That's when I would use temperature to determine, you know, put the puzzle together, so to speak. All right. We're uh, rounding, rounding up here. We're going to be calling it a night soon. Uh, Ryan Bomback wants to know the relatively shallow water near area on Lake Erie. He's curious about cannonball weight and the style of cannonball you're using. Yeah, so that's a good question. I don't fish super deep, Ryan. So I've been a, a and a lot of a lot of people don't don't like it, but I have been a shark guy for ever since they came out. And I run a ten pound shark in Chrome, and I know that it works fine. And it's it's one of those things I'm used to it, so I don't go to twelves or fifteens or any of that. The riggers can handle it, but. Um, I'm okay with the bowback and, and having the optimum with the fish hawk with the true depth. It takes all that guesswork out of it. Um, I really like that chrome shark and uh, I've probably been using it for 20 years. And, you know, I don't want to sound like too old a guy, but I'm setting my ways with it. I like them. They track nice. And I, I have days where when the steelies are on, I'll fart around with it and put 10-inch lead behind it and they'll still come up and smash it. So. When they're on, they're on. You know, I, 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 a lot of people ask me about leads, and I, I use shorter leads most of the time. But on that shark, uh, that that's what I have. There's other stuff out there. The pow stuff's nice. A lot of guys like that. Other guys are just very natural, plain old black uh, coated ball. Um, different ports have different superstitions as to. Uh, Cannonballs and weights, but uh, I'm an old school ten pound uh, chrome shark. All right, we got. It. We're going to do one more question here, and this one is. Uh, I'm going to help you out here with it, Paul. I'm going to share screen here and bring up the Fishhawk website. Uh, and again, Paul, this is probably a more a product question than for you, but uh, Andy Sponseller over on YouTube wants to know about um, transducer locations. And whether or not you can do a shoot through with an X4, you can. Um, again, a lot of people have a lot of different opinions on shoot through or not to do I, it. I don't recommend it. I've seen some really good shoot throughs and I've seen some really bad ones. But uh, the last gentleman who asked that uh, 
that question is, is uh, Mr. Ryan Bombach. He's one of the best when it comes to transducer locations. That guy, I think he has a PhD in, in that. And uh, I follow his posts and he's, uh, he's dialed in. But uh, the question, transducer location. So looking at this a little closer, can you make it any bigger for these old? old uh, we can see what we can do here. Oh, okay. I can make it. But uh, yeah, Andy, you can go to actually go to fishhawkelectronics.com and I can show you here uh, how that works on the website. Pull this up here. Um, but so if, you, I, so if you go to the website, Andy, and uh, let's see. But, but I want to give Andy a little bit of perspective of what sure. I think. So, um, go I ahead and click on instructions and manuals, Andy, and that will get you to the page you need. But I'm going to let Paul go ahead and give you give you his expert opinion on this. But uh, you can do it. But as Paul's saying, there's a lot of folks that uh, they're not big fans of shoot through. It's a hit or, it's a hit or miss, it, and you're better off just putting it on the back. But uh, my boat configuration, I got twin outboards on the back, and I run with a kicker. So – I, I just answered this question for a guy who's got a new boat today, so that's why it's fresh in my brain. When I put my fish hawk on the boat, I don't want it anywhere near the kicker. So my kicker is on my port corner. I always run my fish hawk on my starboard corner. And the reason for that is if you have autopilot on your kicker or, God forbid, something goes wrong with your steering, the first thing it's going to do is lock over hard one way and then – the potential of, of something awful happens. It goes into a hard turn, and your downrigger cable gets caught in the propeller of your kicker. So it's one thing for that to happen, and you lose a cannonball. It's another thing for you to lose a cannonball on a probe. Like I said earlier in this podcast, the, that's one of the worst things that can happen on a charter. I don't care if you got 50 fish in the box. If you lose a probe, you're not going to be happy. So that's one of the things. The other thing, too, is the kicker your propulsion is on the other side of the boat. So you're going to get cleaner uh, transmission with no bubbles and no, and no interference from the prop. So if you can separate the two and you have that luxury, especially if you're fishing with a kicker, you want to put it on the other side. And then the through, you don't want to obstruct it, the view because basically that signal goes from the probe up to the transducer and the transducer up to the head unit or, or to your Canon Optimums, which, whichever you have. So go to the website and then I know that Trevor's worked on this stuff a, a lot hard and uh, there's a lot of information there and he, he's dialed in with a lot of captains of how that goes, but I would shy away through, through the, the uh, through hull just because there can be bubbles in the fiberglass and, there's so many variables that can screw you up. You're better off just putting a, a piece of uh, one of those plastic boards for your transducer and do it that way. So I hope that helps. Yeah, that was a, that was a good, clean uh, answer there, Paul. Uh, if you go to Captain Ross Robertson, he has kind of more of an R-rated answer to that question. But uh, both, both answers are exactly the, the same. Now I got to go check that out. Yeah, he's he's got a, he you have the same conclusion, but he has a little different way of explaining. His da his data takes you to the same place, but it, it's a little bit different uh, different for him. But hey, yeah. uh, the other thing, Chris, share with these guys. My website is uh, my email is jpfish at rogers .com. My website is as jpfish dot com. Uh, you got questions? 
fire them to me. I'll answer them within a day or two uh, and I'll point you in the right direction. Uh, like I said, this time of year, I'm usually somewhere fishing. So um, that's not happening with COVID. So I'll, I'll uh, point you in the right direction. There's a lot of people that were on this uh, forum tonight that are good anglers and have a lot of know-how and they're guys that are in the retail end and they're trollers as well. So um, if it makes a difference between uh, you catching more fish, then we're all for it. So just don't fish right beside me and please don't get inside my planer boards. So my last question is always, how do people get in touch with you? Oh, but what I want to do though, Paul, is I know you wanted to talk about some of the, the partnerships that you have and some of the guys you're working with on the retail end. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So one of the big things that, that I've noticed because of availability of products, uh, like as you know, with COVID stuff's hard to get and it's, you know, we have, we live in Canada we're very fortunate that we have a lot of really good manufacturers and so i don't forget anybody you know we got freedom tackle which is a canadian company they make the they make this uh herring everything's twisted Oops. they make this this herring cut bait i it's made for salmon they told me i said yeah right i'll catch walleyes um nk is uh is northern king they're made in canada now the triple threat lures are made in Canada. Whackum tackles made in Canada. Um, Yalai. Yalai is a really good bait. A lot, I get a lot of guys, you fish bandits, you fish bandits. He's making these hooligans. They look very similar. They work very similar to, to a bandit. Uh, really good bait. Uh, I've done really well with them. Um, they make the, reg the regular moon eye, which is a stick bait. I run those off the Dipsy. They work very well, too. The finish is this guy. He's probably one of the best painters I've ever seen. And um, even even bottom bouncers, that that Jiga Joe, which is a bottom bouncer company out of Quebec, I buy them because they're made in, made in Canada, and they're available. They got them everywhere. They come in crazy colors and the rest of it. Um, Offshore Tackle's big for me. I've been with them. That's my longest standing sponsor. Uh, this is a Wacom Tackle product. It's an inline weight. I use a lot of the guppies and tadpoles. So, you know, don't be afraid to check out the Canadian companies. Uh, chances are that if you're after some spoons and body baits and the stuff, you can find them because they are Canadian and you don't have to worry about international shipping and big FedEx charges and brokerage charges and all the rest of it. And uh, you know, get your components, make up your crawler harnesses if you plan on doing some early uh, eerie fishing. And uh, don't be afraid to support that local tackle store. You know, even if like they're they're getting kicked in the head with COVID and the rest of it. And um, I'd hate to see any of them go by the wayside because uh, because of this uh, COVID thing. So um, that's that. You know, I, I'm sponsored by some of those companies, but some of them are just companies that I use their stuff because I like it. And and the fact that it's made in Canada, I like it more. So um, don't be afraid to encourage that. Uh, I encourage you to check out some of those companies and your local uh, retailers probably have it in stock. So when it's hard to find stuff, that's a good thing to do. So um, that's that's it for advertising. But uh, yeah. It was good, and uh, like I said, if anybody missed out on asking any questions, fire me an email, and I'd be glad to answer them. Well, Captain Paul Paulus, thanks so much for coming on the show. Uh, thanks to the audience for coming out. We had a great audience this evening with some great questions. We're going to give uh, Sean Fishback the question of the night.
So Sean, you can drop us a private message on the Facebook page there with your address and we'll get a package out to you. But uh, Captain Paul Powis, once again, thanks for coming on the show. Really appreciate your insight and sharing your knowledge with our audience tonight. Always a pleasure, Chris, and thank you and uh, hope to see you guys on the water soon. Thanks for listening to the Great Lakes Fishing Podcast presented by Fishhawk Electronics. For more information on fishing the Great Lakes, visit our blog at fishhawkelectronics.com.